Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Teaching young people about money, debt and savings. A new program is to be rolled out to secondary schools nationwide to do just that. The $10 million program is called Sorted in Schools and is being developed by the Commission for Financial Capability. Its national manager for schools, Kelly Gay, says teenagers can fall into the trap of easy credit and unmanageable debt and that this can have long-term implications. He has some top tips for teens to share. Kelly, good morning. Good morning. In my day, it used to be, can I borrow some money? Can I borrow two bucks or 20 cents back in the day for the tuck shop? It's a whole new world for uh, teenagers growing up now at different stages. It's not a few bob. It's what? All sorts of offerings. And is it also the idea that debt is normal and you may as well start now because you're going to get it later? Um, I think it absolutely is. I mean, you sort of think about the sort of uh, things that are offered to young people these days. They're often quite expensive consumer items. You get a lot of phones, um, things like cars. Um, and the reality is that with those consumer items, we now have a lot of debt um, available. It's available very easy. It's set up to be um, easy to access. And in fact, it's um, in some cases actually pushed at our kids specifically for that purposes. And I think phones are a really good example of that sort of, uh, that sort of thing. The other thing is with the expectation that all the focus on student debt and then the size that mortgages have got to. For a generation, again, it was like, it, it, you know, back it was always you pay as you go and you save and save and save for your house and your house costs about a gazillionth of what it does now. Are they getting messages from the world that the only way to get stuff is to accept quite big debt and possibly from quite a young age? Yeah, we have absolutely normalised the state of debt as being a state that you live in, uh, especially as a young person. I think student debt has certainly contributed to that. There's an assumption that you will need to take on debt to be able to uh, get a qualification, and that's actually the way that you... Uh, move forward in the world and as a result you'll get a qualification and then you can start to think about paying it back. The The reality for many kids is the numbers they're talking about are so big they just have no concept of what 30, 40, 80, 120 thousand dollars actually mean and by the way those are real numbers for student debt yeah. uh, so they are big numbers. Yeah it's the idea that you're always going to be in debt it's going to be a big debt and if you don't if, if you start with that being your only concept you don't build what we're going to talk about, which is an understanding of what it takes to manage it and to pay it back, to contain it in the first instance, yep. when to take it on, all those things. It's just like it's big, it's huge, it's lifelong, so I may as well spend now. Is Absolutely. that the risk? I may as well start now. Absolutely. But, and I think there's also a nuance within that conversation, which is not all debt is necessarily bad. Sometimes it is necessary. We need to be able to arm kids with enough information to distinguish between those two things. Sorted in Schools is interesting because the Sorted website has had a lot of positive feedback at the time it's been there as a really practical tool for working out how much you're going to need for retirement or how, much, how long it's going to take you to pay this back. It, it's it's been a practical tool for doing some financial planning. Absolutely. And are you pretty much lifting that 
and putting it into these kids' environment, simplifying it for their environment, or what are you doing with it? I think we're taking it a few steps further than that, uh, and I would certainly encourage your listeners to go and have a look at that website, uh, and especially if they want to start having conversations with their kids about money, and I would certainly encourage that, that's a good place to start. The programme for schools will will have to have some other components. So the first thing is that uh, we need to listen very carefully to our teachers. Uh, They're with uh, our our children every day of the week, and and they know the sort of messages and things that uh, the kids are exposed to. So they're going to be a critical part of building content uh, specifically for schools. Um, But we'll build a number of um, content packages specifically for that environment. Um, but I want to just quickly touch on a point, though, which is um, some of our, our research, because I think um, our program reflects that. Um, and what we know is that when we talk to kids about what they wanted and what they knew, about 80% of them said that actually they would prefer to learn this stuff within the school environment. Uh, and I think that's because they trust that environment. It's a place that they, they go and they believe in to some extent, even if they don't always like necessarily being there. Uh, it also two... separates it from discussing borrowing with mum and dad, which uh, yes. is <laughs> primary, primary first port of call as a bank, <laughs> so nice to get the conversation away from that. And actually that's the second point, <laughs> is that often they get their most information currently from home, yeah. and uh, when we looked into that a little bit further, what we know is that that can be a little bit varied in terms of the quality of that yeah. advice. Um, and I think some, you know, genuinely some parents actually struggle a little bit in this space as well. So they were interested in learning, and what were they telling you about what they wanted to learn? So the two things that they really wanted to know the most about, and I think they're sensible things. The, the first one was they wanted to understand how to budget more effectively, and I think that's a fantastic place. The other thing they really cared about was borrowing. Uh, so I think that it's fantastic that um, that's a sort of first cab off the, off the rank as such. And with borrowing, was it that they knew it was back to where we were, that there's now a an inevitability about it and they wanted to understand how to go about it or what? What do they want to know about borrowing? Yeah, look, I think um, they did want to, they wanted some tools, I think, to understand how to um, work out what debt actually was, how it was going to be used and what the life uh, life expectancy of that debt uh, was going to be. But when we started to talk more broadly about this, not just with kids but also their schools, we, we sort of realised there was a sort of unique moment in time that we had kids saying, look, we want to get the stuff we wanted to get it at school. We've got teachers saying, look, if we had coherent uh, packages that actually explain this in an easy way, uh, we would deliver it. And parents were saying, we sort of already thought this was happening within the school environment, so they were slightly surprised it wasn't. So Sort It in Schools is um, going to leverage off that moment in time, provide those packages in sensible ways to kids. It will be completely free and it will be aligned to the NCEA so that, uh, that students will actually get credit for participating in this at the same time. I was going to ask when it comes in. Obviously, we've talked lots of times on the show about when you start doing a bit of pocket money or when you start making the association between wanting something and working for it and saving for it but for this kind of stuff, the adult um, financial management stuff, at what age are you envisaging it coming into the school? Yeah look it's a really good question Um, when we did a sort of environmental scan of the schooling uh, environment we found that there's quite a lot of good content already within the primary schools uh, so there's a number of people that offer some some quite cool stuff for, for younger kids. There is um, a very big gap within the high school. There's there's a small amount of stuff, programs like um, Youth Enterprise Scheme, which are fantastic, by the way, um, but they weren't necessarily addressing financial capability so much as enterprise. Um, so we've decided Self-selecting that, kids too, really, isn't it? In some uh, ways? It is in some cases, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't sort of generally necessarily available across the curriculum. Mm. So we decided to focus very much at the high schools, Uh, and in particular the later years as you're preparing to leave uh, and sort of arm those kids with informed choice about their financial decisions and future.
What is the environment that they're in? You, you mentioned the messages being pushed at them. What is being pushed at them and, and, and how young? What are some of the situations or case studies that well, illustrate that? Um, look, I think it's a pretty simple, um, pretty simple thing when you sum it all up. It's buy stuff. There is uh, intense pressure on people to have uh, the latest cell phone, um, access to music online, uh, IT. Uh, there are so many consumables out there. And I think one of the key things we need to help kids start to think about is the difference between need and want and, um, and how you might delay gratification for some of those things. So when do you need the new phone? Um, is it actually something you should get now or is it something you can uh, wait for? And what is the cost of that decision? If you go out and get debt for something, what is the actual genuine cost of doing that? Uh, and is it better just to hang on with your old phone at the moment until you can actually afford that? Uh, those are, for some of our kids, unfortunately, new experiences and, and new information. They are for lots of people, and I suppose mm. this is the other thing. You want to try and avoid what can become traps for people. So the messages are coming at them. Are the messages also coming to to buy to consume? Mm-hmm. Are the messages also coming at them that you can borrow really easily? And what some of the advertising are the kids at school going off to some of the loan sharks, or if not the loan sharks, some of the high interest financial services? Don't have money for this payday, you know? Come see us. We're yeah. Santa Claus. And are some kids <laughs> responding to that, even at high school, getting um, into debt? Look, the reality is they're surrounded by that sort of message. And, and we talk about it as sort of a debt hole. We have this um, critical group of kids, sort of the age 16 to 24. And what happens is they fall into this debt hole quite easily and sometimes quite by accident. And it quite often builds a momentum. So you've got a bit of debt, so it's easy to get. So I've got a problem, I'll just solve it with more debt. Uh, and some kids get deeply into this hole. For many of them, it takes them many, many years to get out of it. And um, if you don't come from a particularly affluent background, sometimes that debt goes on for 10 or 20 years. So it's a significant problem for our kids. In some instances, um, kids will rack up thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of debt. If that's happened to someone who's under 24 in that sort of, you know, age group, um, and I'm not talking about student debt here, I'm talking about yep. they've gone and they bought the car and they bought the stuff and now they're paying 20% plus interest a year. Can you help with how to get out of that, whether it's like a debt consolidation or if you're a parent and you discover this and you think, well, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not loaded <laughs> either, what are some of the ways you can manage that, both help them get rid of the debt over a period of time and also help them with not getting back into it? They're two slightly different things, but I think the answers are the same. I think, again, that the best place to go is go have a look at the sorted website. There are tools there to help you understand what that debt actually is. Uh, if you start to do some budgeting and say, what can I actually afford? If you talk to the lender and say, I am struggling here, um, let's make an arrangement. All of these things are strategies. Um, sometimes goal, parents might make the arrangement, right, with their own mortgage, but you've got to be careful to. of that, that it's an agreed-to plan to an outcome yeah. and that you're not the person who just picks up the next debt as well. Absolutely. I mean, our, our focus really is to try and um, be the ambulance, uh, not at the bottom of the cliff, but the fence at the top, and help kids realise um, this is how you avoid getting into that situation. For those who are there, I'm afraid it is probably a bit of a grind, and it is about taking control of that situation yourself. Let's look at some of those things that can take a lifetime to learn, actually. But some of the things that help you... And it's, it's interesting, because under 24, we're with that developing brain still, aren't we? Like everything yeah. else, we're not sitting and thinking, OK, here's what compounding interest is. And if I just deny this debt and keep borrowing to top it up or borrowing to pay the interest, I don't know, I'm not going to think about that. I've, I've got other stuff to think about. 
So if you've got that developing brain, what are some of the skills that aren't necessarily immediately obvious to it that you've got to try and get through? Absolutely. And there's one more which people forget about, which is just paying the minimum. Uh, it's actually a guaranteed way of staying in debt for a very long time. And frankly, lenders love that stuff because you will be a long-term client of theirs. Um, and you're absolutely right, um, the consequential part of our brain hasn't fully developed when we leave uh, high school. And for some of us, uh, me included, I'm still not sure it entirely has. Um, I think there are some behaviours. Uh, so, for example, um, KiwiSaver. It is just a fantastic idea. There is no element of that which is bad. If you can, uh, when you first start earning, simply participate in some form of scheme of saving uh, so that part of your wage instantly goes into a saving thing, you will get the benefit of cumulative interest without necessarily having to understand it. Is that not just about the interest? It's about what you're trying to trigger in the brain. And we're learning so much about how the commercial world has kidnapped our dopamine systems basically. I I cannot stop recommending Robert Lustig's fantastic book, The Hacking of the American Brain, uh, because it shows how we need, we can't change these environments overnight. It shows to understand the environment that you're in. So you want the dopamine hit to be, look my savings account is now this, or my savings account is now this. Not, look I just bought this thing. So if we're trying to reward ourselves when it comes to our financial areas, yes, one reward is getting new stuff, but another new reward is actually I'm saving, I'm on my track here, or and then some goal setting which starts to feel good because I might be able to get this. So that's another benefit of saving, quite apart from having any money to spend. Absolutely, I mean that's that instant gratification uh, that we we're so conditioned to in our society these days. Did I see I, some research? I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kelly. Did I see some research that millennials check their bank accounts every day? What's that about? Is that about working out whether you've got something to spend, or is that an indication that, like everything else with the smartphone, they're getting a bit of a hit out of looking at it? I, I think it's certainly that, and I think what it also shows is that for many people, money isn't a, a it's a artificial construct. It's a it's a series of numbers on a screen. It's not necessarily attached to actual genuine value. Uh, and certainly the millennials are very connected uh, and I've had conversations with some millennials where they say, look, don't give me cash it's got no value to me, I can't use it to do online purchasing, I don't want it in my pocket and I think that's that um, how they've divorced that from the reality um, but to go back to your point mm. I think um, a level of balance is necessary we, we can't say to people, look um, you have to save everything you ever earn because uh, we're just not conditioned like that. I think uh, the more important thing is to learn to balance it, to say, look, I'm going to put this stuff away and I can see it growing and I'll get some benefit from that, but I can still have my shiny things occasionally as well. Even if it's five bucks or ten bucks, Absolutely. There's, there's a feeling of competence, there's a, there's a good feeling. that. I mean, I remember my little passbook thingy with the, what was it? It had a squirrel on it. And I, I remember I can remember going off pinned the kindy with my <laughs> savings pinned. And even then with no concept of it, you know. We, that, that, that act of doing something that's in the positive side of the ledger, even if it's not going to give you a huge result, is, is, a habit, is a habit to get building. So that's one thing. Um, how, what, what, what are some of the others? What sort of order do you work in to begin to build an awareness and, and a sense of competency and confidence around money? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think another really important point is um, what is this thing actually genuinely going to cost me? Um, so if you can slow down the process to getting that dopamine hit um, and just take a little bit of time and say, actually, if I take this on debt now, 
if I have to pay this off, and again, the cell phone is a fantastic example of that because you can get a brand new cell phone, no problem at all, you'll be paying it off for three or four years. What does it actually genuinely cost? So if you can maybe slow the process down, use the phone, use an app, and actually calculate that and say, am I prepared to actually pay that at the moment? Maybe I'll make this decision tomorrow morning. That's actually breaking that cycle. That's a really powerful thing. I think too, you know, if you seek advice, so you're a, um, you're looking at making a purchasing, you know that you're sort of you're loving the look of that thing, you really want it, maybe it's a chance just to check with someone else to give you a bit of perspective on that at the moment. Now again, is it something I absolutely need or is it something I can delay for a while? Need and want the two different things. Um, I think too though we want to take um, this opportunity to do a little bit of expanding of people's understanding. There's um, an opportunity here also to explain their rights and responsibilities when they're making these sort of things. When you sign that contract for the new phone, do you know what you're actually signing up for? All the conditions around that. What happens if you default? Can you get out of it? What is the cost of getting out of it? Because most people don't realise that um, that funding arrangement is uh, effectively set in stone. Um, Some kids are really savvy about this stuff, with high-use stuff, aren't they, with, with contracts and uh and, and, and others not so. And I guess that first experience of getting burned yeah. um, is, it can be a learning experience on that front, can't it? It can. I think, though, um, you know, getting a young person to read a, a long and, and mm. reasonably lengthy yeah, but it's word document, of mouth. It's like, don't sign up with that mob because you're stuck for X number of months. It's word of mouth that, yeah, there's that, certainly that a probably... Yeah, sharing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Best mobile deals and that kind of thing is. Uh, yep. But again, a lot of our marketing is sort of tailored to sort of feed that uh, conditioning mm. within young people. Uh, and again, it is about the new shiny things come out. How do I get that as quickly as possible? All right. So understanding those those um, longer term consequences. And, and how do you go about that? Do you pick something that really is high use for them, like a phone contract, as an example? And that's the approach that we're adopting within schools is we're not going to sit with them with a textbook and say, look, start on page one and go through. In fact, schools are really clear when we talk to them. If you make this boring, we'll never talk to you again, Kelly. So don't do that. Um, so we're not going to. What we're going to do instead is we're going to give them uh, practical examples and using things like phone consumable goods and say, here's a range of options that you could choose from. Let's go through the process with each one of them and see what it actually means in terms of the cost. What does a contract actually say uh, and help build up their informed choice? They aren't deal makers and negotiators, kids. It's just about giving, and that delay thing is everything. You know yourself when you think, "Oh, I'm going to buy that," and then you give it even a couple of hours, and it's like I didn't need it. Yep. And that's as an adult. So the delay thing just buys you time to sort out your immediate emotional Absolutely. response. But then the second thing, they are deal makers and negotiators, and if you can find something that matters to them and show them the difference between a couple of different options, you can start to build that muscle, right? Absolutely. It's about saying, "Where do I go to get the information I?" need to make the best decision possible. Now if we can just replicate that enough time with kids, it'll become second nature to them and they'll start actually applying it before they make a purchasing decision. Okay, so the actual cost of something is the next thing. Now where do we get to? Have we done compounding interest? Uh, I think you build that in because, um, you know, using KiwiSaver, um, compounding interest can work against you in terms mm -hmm. of taking on a loan. It could also work to your benefit in KiwiSaver. Again, it's how we nuance that conversation for our kids, and we can do both at the same time. So the first package we want to build for schools is around personal responsibility, uh, financial citizenship. Uh, so we'll use some of those sort of commercial purchasing decisions. Uh, we'll have a look through some contracts. Uh, we'll have a look at KiwiSaver. Then you're seeing the power of compounding interest both against you in terms of taking Great. on debt, but also to for your benefit. You. Yeah. yeah. 
Budgeting. Uh, everyone hates it. Well, that, actually, you don't mind a budget that adds up. You really don't like a budget that doesn't add up. That's the one that goes in the drawer, and I'll deal with it next year. How do you approach budgeting with kids? Yeah, and one of the big issues for, for kids is, again, um, the sort of scale of money that we're talking here quite often doesn't necessarily reflect reality for them. The way we're going to approach it within our programme is we're going to offer um, students a number of different scenarios for them to follow through. And that's so that a student can look at um, a series of scenarios, say this one represents me and my situation best, and they'll follow that through the learning journey effectively from there. Um, so we'll put together scenarios that reflect different conditions for different uh, students around the country. Money personalities are interesting ones. Is this Nigel Latter latest, I'm always suspicious when a bank gets you to do a um, survey on your financial personality. I can see how it would be quite useful to it. But anyway, um, we seem to put all information we can possibly find about ourselves out there. But it is interesting, isn't it? Because we've all got one. And is it about finding out what your strength is? Are you good at repaying debt but rubbish at saving? Um, you know, what, are you someone who spends impulsively and then regrets? Are you someone who's a total squirrel but life is miserable and you're only 18. <laughs> so yeah. is there a way by which you can get kids to understand, do they even have a fully developed money personality by that stage? Uh, probably not, it's probably still evolving but I think, the, um, so firstly you you can do one of those tests on um, the, the Sorted website, you can have a look at your own money uh, personality and I actually did this myself and I discovered some interesting things about myself and I think for many of our kids, they're actually looking for that sort of experience, you know, who am I? How do I fit within the world? And that's a really good opportunity for them to actually think about the sort of money personality they have, how they react under pressure. Uh, and I think, again, that helps build that informed choice. If they're aware that they're likely to make a rapid decision, um, then the, the best response for them necessarily is to sit back and say, maybe I need to take a bit of extra time to make a decision. That's valuable learning. And if that's the one thing they take out of that, that's fantastic. Common also for um, not just the money personality thing is attitudes that you can bring and different people bring all sorts of different attitudes to money. I imagine often inherited by what they've experienced in the home. So it might be rubbish with money or money is evil. Um, I'm not going to plan to save because it's wrong. You know, landlords are evil and investment is evil. What, what Do you approach that at all? I think you have to. Um, so maybe it's useful to talk about what financial capability is as opposed to financial literacy because most people when they're talking about this actually mean financial literacy. So they're the building blocks and chunks of knowledge that you need to be um, financially um, aware effectively. What is a bank? What is currency? How is it used? What is debt? That sort of thing. But the reality is that um, we need to be helping around both the... Um, the behaviour and the attitude that goes with it. So the programmes we're going to help, uh, sorry, we're going to design for kids will explore this as well. And that's why you use scenario planning with kids. You let them have a go at, um, at a single problem several times in different ways and start to think about what's the best behaviour that actually gets the best outcome for me personally here. If you make this a personal experience for kids, they're far more likely to remember it and apply it later on. That's how you access the behaviour and, um, and attitude component. One of the things that I suspect we got really wrong with the introduction of student loans um, was what happened to the um, earning of the uh, income on the other side, the allowances. Because if you had an a decent-sized allowance, you made some sort of effort to, to, to stay within it and you might have missed and so you had a bit of a loan. And once, once the loans were available and the allowances really weren't meeting costs, it was like, OK, I'm going to have to borrow. What's the difference between 10 grand and 40 grand and 50 grand? Yeah. In other words, containing debt. 
And again, that comes back to that good feeling. If you try and live within a budget and miss by a bit, you can deal with that. If you just give up, you're not feeling good about it, right? Mm. So when you are, are they are these kids really depressed about the idea of student debt? Are they just saying it's going to be big? How are you tackling that idea that maybe it is possible with some part-time work, with thinking about where you study and trying to keep your accommodation allowance under control? Maybe you should stay a year at home with mum and dad. Are you talking to them about how that debt might be able to be contained? What are they telling you? Um, so, look, there's, there's a lot of questions in that, um, and I'll try and deal with some of them. Um, I think one of the issues with student loans is um, it takes the responsibility away from decision-making to some extent. Because anything is possible, because the loan is there, you don't necessarily have to think as carefully as you could about the decision you're about to make. Uh, so you will take on that big loan to go off to university and get a qualification, hoping that maybe that's the career for you. And I think that's hugely problematic. In terms of how we want to address that within schools, one of the packages that we we have in development at the moment is helping kids um, do some career planning and thinking about the future, because clearly financial capability planning and thinking and budgeting is a key part of that. If we can get them to actually think about um, again, scenarios, I could go to this university and do this program, or this polytech and do this program, or maybe I could go and get an apprenticeship, or maybe I should just go and get a job. If they can actually plan through those scenarios and understand the consequences of them... Over the course of a lifetime. Absolutely. Like, this might be your dra- dream job, but the reality is its pay's going to max out at 70k. So that's great. Go and do it if it's your dream job and your passion, but don't be borrowing X amount on the other side, because you're going to be 100 before you pay it back. Or is, is there is a cheaper it, is it way of doing it? Are there trade-offs? Exactly. There have to be. And I think that's what we're trying to help um, kids mm. maybe have a look at, is by developing that informed choice, and not just the informed choice, but the tools behind that informed choice. Where do I go to get reliable information that's not biased by anyone else who's trying to sell me something, uh, so that I can make decisions that are best for my future? There's a bit of maths in it, really. You can't avoid that, can you? It's not, you know, it's not, el- well, hopefully it's not algebra, but... We it- shouldn't be scared of maths. I, I think, actually, financial capability is a fantastic vehicle to deliver a level of uh, numeracy. So I'll give an example of my eldest son, who I spent um, several nights working with him on um, ideas of volume and area, uh, and he just he didn't really care. The moment I changed his pocket money, I was very aware. <laughs> now, that's, that's true of most kids, yeah. is... Um, for many of them, money does have a, a sense, and at that sort of lower level, um, they know what ten bucks and twenty bucks buys, yep. uh, and therefore down to the cent. Down to the cent, and therefore that's a really useful way of engaging them on a conversation. Yeah. What are the top five money tips for teens? Then let's go through them in order. Yep. So I think um, the first one is build savings into what you're doing, uh, because that will help you live within your means. So that's an important thing. Um, the second one, work out the total cost of debt. Understand just what you're actually uh, signing up to. Um, I think talk to other people and gain broad advice before you make a decision. You don't have to rush these things. And in fact, many uh, people selling things depend on that haste that you feel. So learn to slow that process down. Um, Understand your rights and obligations. uh, And if you understand that, you won't get taken advantage of. Uh, People will still target you, but you at least can have some tools to fight back. and I think, you know, really critically to all of this is know the difference between um, need and want. Now, as a, a warning, and I've heard a number of young people sort of talk about this stuff, um, if you are thinking about taking on debt and you want to hide it from other people, that's a really good sign that it's time to talk with somebody else, someone to trust, someone to give you perspective, and might be time to actually talk not about getting more debt, 
but talking to the people you already owe money to. You hit it on the head when you talked about that sense of urgency. I was looking at some travel accommodation over the weekend and mm. all the sites I was on, hurry, only one room left at this price. Yeah. Every single one of them, every time I clicked on it, hurry, you're the last. It's like, stuff off. They can't be all going at the same time, can they? So it's about when someone's trying to rush you, there's a reason for it. And the slowing down and the thinking about the consequences um, is um, a really good skill. Kelly, it sounds great. I think 50 schools on board already? Correct. We have 50 schools signed up who want to help design and co-deliver this. And there are links through for parents who want to know how to support this at home and have conversations at home. I think they're on our website too, are they? Yeah. They're on our website, radionz.co.nz slash 9 to noon. Thank you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.